2: Hey, everyone, it's Boomer Esiason, and I am so delighted to have you join us here on our Game Time podcast. Now, today's guest played 13 years in the NHL, and he played with eight different teams, including my beloved New York Rangers. And since retiring in 2004, he's been the head coach at his alma mater, Harvard University. I'm so thrilled to be joined by Ted Donato. Coach, welcome to our Game Time podcast.
3: Well, thank you, Boomer. Great to join you.
2: So, Ted, how has social media and today's emphasis on branding and self-marketing changed the nature of the latest generation of hockey players?
3: Well, I think uh in general, um just just young people, it, it doesn't it didn't really happen unless it's captured on social media. So uh, you know, it's it is a challenge. I think uh as, as a recruiter and as a you know as a college uh Hockey coach, I think uh you have to utilize those social media tools uh to capture great moments in your program to recognize uh when kids have great accomplishments but uh you know it's it's become a a real important you know factor as far as the experience you know whether you're you know showing the locker room before the game or a celebration after the game uh social media is 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 how you can reach these uh you know, young kids. Yeah,
2: certainly a powerful tool. You know, when you were drafted by the Bruins as an 18-year-old back in 1987, American hockey players were still, by and large, considered exceptions to the norm in the NHL. And organized junior hockey was considered superior springboard compared to college hockey. How and about when do you think the U.S. and collegiate hockey closed the gap on Canada and Europe?
3: Yeah, you know what? I think uh, over the last, um, you know, 10 to 15 years, uh USA hockey has just uh really exploded. Um and I and I do think college hockey has uh you know has a big role in that. Obviously uh, some of these uh non-traditional hockey markets, whether it's Florida or Arizona, you know, producing uh a guy like Austin Matthews. Um, you know, I, I saw a stat recently that said that, you know, the breakdown of uh, nationalities in the National Hockey League, and I think it was 290 something Canadians and 212 Americans, I can tell you that's, you know, that's gotta be, you know, uh, you know, 20 X of what it was, you know, when, when, you know, when I, I was coming out, there was a handful of guys, uh, but guys like, uh, you know, Brian Leach and, and Kevin Stevens and Mike Richter really kind of, uh, broke through. And, and ever since, uh, you know, us college hockey players have, uh, have been really impactful at the NHL level.
2: Yeah, the growth of hockey, especially here in the Northeast and on Long Island, where I'm from, has been amazing recently. Now, you just coached the U.S. National Junior Team, if I'm not mistaken. Are you interested in one day maybe possibly coaching the U.S. Olympic Team?
3: Well, I, I, every time I have an opportunity to do something, uh, you know, for, for you know, Team USA or USA Hockey, um, you know, that's an exciting moment. I, it, it played such a integral you know role in my ability to to make it to the NHL having an opportunity to play in the the 1987 World Juniors in Moscow and then play in the you know the Olympic Games in 92. Uh, I feel like I owe so much to to USA hockey. So uh I love being able to work with those high-end guys. You're seeing some of the guys that we had a couple of years ago you know just really kind of lighted up in the NHL guys like you know Trevor Zegris and Cole Caulfields Uh, So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's great to be able to work with such great players and to be able to represent your country.
2: You know, I know that uh, you're a very popular figure up there in Boston. I know that your name was floated around a little bit around as a possible head coaching candidate for the Bruins. And that went to Jim Montgomery, who's doing an unbelievable job right now. Uh, Do you ever think you would be interested in coaching in the NHL or are you happy right there at Harvard?
3: Well, I, I am certainly happy at Harvard. Um, you know, I think when I first got into it, Boomer, I, I had moved around so much, you know, my final years as a professional hockey player that I felt like it was my time to, you know, to, to be around my family, be local and kind of set some roots up. Um, but, you know, I, I think, uh, I am a, a hockey guy and I, you know, I, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I wouldn't turn away the challenge, you know, if the right opportunity came along, but, I love being at Harvard. I get to work with, you know, some of the, the, the most first class, uh, human beings, you know, in all of college sports. And, uh, you know, we have a great thing going. So, uh, it would have to be a, a real great opportunity for me to
2: consider. When do you think there will be a woman head coach in the NHL or for that matter, in a major men's college program?
3: It's, it's a great question. And I think the, uh, the, you know, the women's game has really elevated, you know, uh, year after year and you're seeing, uh, the talent level just skyrocket. Uh, and in, you know, and I think, uh, you're seeing more and more, uh, qualified, uh, women that, uh, you know, that are shooting up the coaching ranks. So, uh, it's probably just a matter of time. You're seeing some in, uh, in management. Uh, so, you know, it's, uh, it's certainly uh, impressive to see. I, I know uh, watching firsthand, you know, having been able to watch even when I was in college c- compared to, to the talent level now and the speed and skill uh, which the women's game possesses is, uh, is really impressive.
2: We're talking with Ted Donato here on the Game Time Podcast. And Ted, let's talk about this year's Crimson who opened with a flying 7-0 and start how do you feel about the upside potential for your current team?
3: I'm excited. I think we've got a great group. Uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of uh, growth that needs to happen for us to, to be uh, where we want to be at the end of the year. But uh, we certainly have some talent, some enthusiasm, and uh, it's, it's nice to get off to a great start. You know, you
2: spawned 10 of your former players uh, currently are in the NHL. So great program that you have there at Harvard. You keep in touch with both of those guys?
3: I do. I uh you know, I certainly like to follow them uh on the TV, see how they're doing and uh you know it's such a an honor to be able to work with, with great players and uh you know, as you know, you know, you, you see the end results on TV, but you, you know the the history and the families and the background and all the work that went in to get to that level. So uh you know, I, I enjoy watching these guys get to live out their dream.
2: You know, two of the players in particular, one Alex cloran we had on the show here. Uh, he's from Montreal and I'm wondering, how did you recruit a kid out of Montreal to come to Boston? I'm thinking that he would probably play junior hockey up there in Canada and go that route, but I'm just figuring that his mom probably had something to do with this.
3: Yeah. Usually, uh, usually there's, uh, there's a parent, uh, that, that s- sees the uh, proper road. So, uh, you know, Alex, Alex um, played at Deerfield, uh, you know, prep, prep hockey. So, uh, you know, very intelligent kid. His mom was, uh, you know, had an education background. And, uh, you know, we, we had him in for a visit and, you know, super excited about the opportunity to work with him. And uh, was a great player
2: for us for four years. You know, I'm thinking that he would have brought back the Stanley Cup to Cambridge to celebrate with you guys. What happened with that?
3: well i did i did get invited up to montreal but at the uh at that point uh i wasn't as excited to give up the the summer golf days <laughs> to go up and uh to to see the cup but uh certainly very proud of him and he's been a you know a a great um alum for the program stays in touch with guys uh always uh happy to uh you know to speak to our players about what's ahead and uh their options you know another
2: one of your nhl finishing school graduates i like to put it that way is 2021 norris trophy winner and a guy who's close to my heart as a fan of the team he plays for and of course from where he's from i am from long island that is the great adam fox um i i knew that his reputation was that he was a really good player i don't think any of us expected him to be this good, this fast? What did you see in him that made you realize that he was going to be so good?
3: Well, I, I think he was underappreciated uh, quite a bit. Um, you know, he's he's done nothing but excel wherever he's been. Um, you know, for example, uh, I think his uh, draft year, you know, he led the U18 World Championships in scoring. And, you know, I think there was something like seven defensemen that went in front of him, uh, even though he was, you know, at the, you know, at the World Championships the you know, voted the best defenseman. Uh, he broke the records there in the U18 year, his second year. And then he came to Harvard. He was, a, you know, three team, first team, All-American. Um, and, you know, we play a few less games in the Ivy League. But if you look at points per game, uh, you know, he was he, he led the country. As, a, as an 18 year old freshman um, and had actually more points than the Hobie Baker winner that year in points per game so he was uh, you know an immediate impact guy and uh, you know he, his his hockey IQ is 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 almost laughable he just uh, makes guys look silly he's one of those guys that you, you look around on the mm-hmm. bench and you as a player you laugh and as a coach you you sit there and look at the mm-hmm. other defensemen and say hey that, don't try that at home."
2: You know, in, in, the, in the NFL and uh, quarterbacks, we judge on poise, and defensemen, I think, are the same kind of have to be the same kind of way in hockey, especially in professional hockey. When you think about the guys bearing down on them as they stick handle the puck, and I don't think I've ever seen anybody quite this young be this good so fast.
3: Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, you know, he, he doesn't get hit very often, um, and his poise and his deception. Um, you know, is it's. It's a marvel. Uh, His uh, his agent actually used to use the phrase that uh, he's the kind of guy that that orders, you know, if the plane was going down, would order a martini. You know, he's just, uh, you know, pretty cool customer.
2: He is. You know, we've spoken to a lot of iconic college basketball and football coaches on this program, Coach, about the name, image and likeness situation that is all over you know, college sports these days, the transfer portal revolutions in their sports. How are they affecting college hockey?
3: Well, they're just starting to get there now. Um, certainly not uh, at the level of, of football and basketball. Um, and, and I think it's a little scary for everybody, quite frankly, right now, Um I'm not sure where it will go. Um, you know, there's a lot of things going on with the NCAA right now that seem to be in flux. Uh, you know, they're talking about adding more coaches. They're talking about the potential to, you know, have everybody be full scholarship players. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of moving parts. Uh, and the name, image and likeness, um, you know, is something that really hasn't, um, made much of a difference you know uh in the ivy league yet uh, and in college hockey is just starting to to scratch the surface
2: all right we're just getting warmed up with ted donato where we live his youthful adventures with his brothers playing a type of hockey you probably have never seen or heard of so when game time continues stay with us Welcome back to Game Time. If you were growing up in New England back in the 1970s, chances are you idolized Bobby Orr and dreamed of playing hockey just like the iconic Bruins' defenseman did. Ted Donato and his siblings were part of that Orr generation, if you will, and they benefited from local rinks popping up all around the region. And, Coach, i got to ask you, what is hand hockey exactly, and how do you explain it, and how do you play it?
3: So, uh, it's, that's a funny question. Uh, hand hockey, very basic. Um, you know, it used to be basically a a sock rolled up in a ball, uh, maybe two or three socks to give it a little bit of more substance. Um, and then you played kind of on all fours, hands and knees, um, we used two doorways, uh, you know, as the nets, and uh, there was four boys in my family, so it was two on two, uh, full contact karate. Uh, you know, broke a window one night. Um, you know, we had we had some. We used to have intros. We'd come out to the uh, the intro song of the Bruins game. Uh, I think my parents. Used to go out to dinner one night a week and and, uh, and they left the house to the animals. So we would we would get after it and uh, it was full
2: full contact and, and great saves and warm ups the whole nine yards. Uh, your mother was a saint, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, you helped lead Catholic Memorial High School to two state champions, and twice the Boston Globe named you division one player of the year. You probably could have went to play hockey anywhere you wanted, but you chose the crimson. Why? Well,
3: interesting. I mean, growing up, I was probably more of a, you know, a BC or BU fan. Uh, we used to, we used to play street hockey or hand hockey and, and we would usually pick BC or BU growing up. But, uh, once I had the chance to, to academically, uh, go to Harvard, um, it was kind of a no brainer. And, and Harvard had a really good team at the time. They had gone to, uh, three out of four, uh, you know, final fours. And uh, you know, I had a, you know, my dad um, he was a football and baseball player. Really, never, never hockey. Um, and uh, was at Boston College. Left Boston College, um, you know, to sign with the Pirates, and uh, end up injuring his shoulder. Um, and so he had a real appreciation for how quickly it could, you know, could go away. And uh, and really wanted to make sure that. You know, we we took advantage of using athletics to get a great education. And so Harvard became, a, a, you know, the, the top choice for me.
2: You know, your coach there was Harvard legend Bill Cleary. Now he won an Olympic gold medal. I don't know if people know this and for Team USA back in the 1960 Olympics in Squaw Valley and was also the consultant. I read this. I couldn't believe it and stand in for Ryan O'Neill in the 1970 hit movie Love Story. So I'm just trying to think what his coaching approach was and what did you learn from him?
3: Well, great, great story. And, and that movie, Love Story, is kind of like a, a cult movie for, for Harvard freshmen. However, I have to admit, I never saw it till like three weeks ago. And, and, and I saw it on a, a Delta flight to Seattle <laughs> to go out and watch my son Ryan. And I loved it. And, you know, I did, I did notice him in a couple of the scenes. Um, but, uh, you know, a great, great, uh, background story there. You know, uh, Coach Clary, you know, was, you know, an American hockey legend, uh, 56 and 60 uh, Olympic teams, leading scorer, gold medalists in 60. Uh, a lot of the, you know, the old timers, if you will, around Boston will still say, you know, maybe one of the greatest American players. But as a coach, um, you know, very, uh, very much, you know, into offense and playing fast and, and, you know, and not worrying about what the other team was doing. And, uh, you know, that's the way he coached. That's the way we played. Uh, and he had a lot of success. So obviously, we were lucky enough in 89 to win a national championship, and that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah, I was going
2: to say that 1989, uh, Frozen 4, you scored two critical goals in beating Minnesota for the national championship, 4-3 in overtime. How great was it to bring Harvard's first, and I got to say only national title in hockey back home?
3: Yeah that was that that was uh just amazing. Um you know we played Minnesota in Minnesota so it was uh we we were certainly on the on the short end of the the crowd support and uh you know you look at the video now uh it was in the St. Paul Civic Center and the boards were made of plexiglass so you could see right through the board. So you could see people's, you know, legs on the other side of, of the board. So it was a little bit uh, strange, but it was a great game. Uh, a lot of great players on on those two teams, uh, you know, that also went on to, you know, the Olympic Games and, and the National Hockey League, but uh, very special. Uh, in, in you know, you know, you go to a school like Harvard, you know, you, you, you're choosing one of the greatest mm educational opportunities and and you know to be able to win a national championship at the same
2: time was was really special. It certainly was. What do you remember about being a part of Team USA in those 1992 Olympics? Well,
3: it was a, it was an
2: amazing uh
3: incredible experience. Uh the whole team was made up of college guys, so we were kind of uh you know just just cruising around the country, uh, really all over North America. Um uh, you know, we played You know, all the college teams, but we also played all the American National Hockey League teams that year. And then we played Team Canada that had, you know, Eric Lindros and others, you know, I think like 24 times throughout the year. So we we had seen enough of them. But uh, it was an incredible experience with uh, with a lot of guys that, you know, uh, had had, you know, left early in college or had just graduated and were trying to start their pro career, but had an opportunity. To represent their country in the Olympics, and uh, you know that's something that you know anybody from you know the United States that's played hockey certainly. Uh, people that watched the '80 Olympic team that was uh, really a, a game changer for for American hockey.
2: So, Coach, how many times have you seen Miracle on Ice?
3: <laughs> well, I've I've seen it probably uh, conservatively about 20 times, but uh, you know it's it's one of those. Uh, that you find some great lines in it. And uh, our team, you know, uh, our league, the ECAC plays uh, their league championship in Lake Placid. So it's, uh, it always seems to come up on the, the players are always throwing it in on the, uh, on the bus rides, uh, you know, in the, you know, the DVDs and whatnot. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's something where a lot of us remember where we were, you know, uh, when we got those, you know, great, great news on, get the great news on the games.
2: Yeah. You know, I, you're the perfect person to ask this question. Should NHL players participate in the Olympics?
3: I have, I have mixed feelings. Um, I thought it was incredible when the, when the college kids uh, were involved. Um, I think it was easier to get behind, uh, you know, team USA. Um, But, but there is a part of me that wants to see best on best um, and wants to see, you know, and, and we're at a point now where USA hockey is so strong um, that I think, you know, year after year, they would be, you know, considered, um, you know, in the top three as far as favorites to win win a, a gold medal. So um, I, I have mixed feelings, but I certainly loved when they when they took the college kids there. You
2: know, when you were in France, I'm thinking, when did you find out that you were going to be called up to play for the Bruins?
3: So, uh, I was drafted by the Bruins in grade 12. Uh, so this was, you know, almost four and a half years later. Um, but I didn't really know, you know, uh, until I got back. I knew I wanted to, uh, I knew that they might be interested in, in signing me, but I had to wait till I got back from the Olympics to, to start in on the uh, contract negotiations and,
2: you know, and, and have that opportunity. You know, it's amazing. You said that you'd rather be drafted in the fifth round by Boston than in the third round by any other team. So I'm just wondering, was there any added pressure playing in front of the home home crowd and the home fans and all the expectations that comes along with that?
3: Yeah, I, did, I, I, I think there was, but I didn't really see it that way. Um, you know, I, th- I think that it's easy to look at it through today's eyes. Um, but, you know, back then, you know the draft wasn't you know this huge media event in fact uh you know i i spoke with uh you know kevin stevens the other day and uh we were talking about the draft and he said i didn't know i got drafted till till 2 days after the draft wow. my sister told me that i was drafted by the la kings and i know for me i was i was at a friend's you know house in their swimming pool and I got a call to get out of the pool and I, you know, picked up the phone. They said, hey, you've been drafted by the Boston Bruins. And, you know, to me, you know, there, there really just wasn't a lot of Americans, you know, playing in the National Hockey League. And it was almost considered that if that was your dream, you know, that it was somewhat unrealistic. Um, however, that's changed a great deal. And uh, but for me. Yeah, there was some pressure, but I, I, you know, it was the team I, I grew up rooting for. And it, it was a, it was a fan base that I, that I knew. Yeah, no question. There's times when things aren't going well that, you know, you got to go to the supermarket or the gas station. And, uh, you know, those are, those are times that aren't as exciting, but, but I love being in Boston got to play with guys that I, you know, idolized uh, watching on TV guys like Ray Bork and Cam Neely, so uh, it was an incredible
2: experience. You know, in terms of your NH- NHL career, you're kind of humbly called yourself a survivor, and I was trying to think of what your strategy for staying in a league nearly three times longer than the average career span.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, uh, at at five nine and a half and a hundred and you know eighty five pounds, uh, you know, I, I, I certainly. Wasn't, uh, you know, the biggest of guys. So it, it kind of had to find a way to, you know, to to morph into whatever the team needed. Uh, you know, obviously, to, you know, in college, a lot of these guys, uh, you know, you end up being a, a big scorer and a difference maker. You know, then you get to the National Hockey League and you got to figure a way. How can I how can I hang around? How can I get in the lineup? How can I help the team? And uh, so, you know, I did everything from, you know, play, you know, up and down the lineup, play, you know, play center, play wing. Uh, even played you know some defense on the power play and 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 even did a couple shifts in in a in a pinch you know playing defense but um you know I, I think I I, I was con- you know convinced in my own mind that I was going to do whatever it took to help the team win and you know and and make myself useful.
2: You know it's interesting you signed with Boston your last year in career and they uh, signed this eighteen year old kid from Quebec his name was. Uh patrice bergeron have you heard of him yeah pretty good player yeah
3: it's 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 uh it's amazing uh so so a couple guys both uh zidane Chara, uh i played with uh on the islanders uh when he was a young kid yep. and then he played with my son ryan for the bruins i think uh and proceeded to call him teddy i think at all turns <laughs> but um and then uh and then Patrice Bergeron, who I played with, and then my son Ryan actually had as a teammate as well. But, um, you know, I could see then that he was going to be, a, a, you know, an impactful player, but uh, he's, he's been so much more. He's been uh, an
2: icon in Boston and just a first-class guy uh, as well. So you're a 5'9", you play for the Islanders, and here comes his 6'10", what, Czechoslovakian player, I'm assuming, Zdeno Tara out on the ice. What are you thinking when you first see him?
3: Well he was he certainly was a big unit, and uh, I remember sitting next to him uh standing next to him while we were doing testing uh and doing the the airdyne bike and the heart rate monitor uh and let's just say his numbers were a little better than mine um, but uh yeah i mean just a just a you know a very nice guy and a and a gentle giant off the ice very intelligent father was a olympic greco roman wrestler back in uh you know, at that point I think it was Czechoslovakia, but he's Slovakian. Um but just a, a first class guy, guy that works is you know, works is in great shape. And uh but I mean I I remember the stories, you know, when we were at the Islanders that, you know, he played in the Western Hockey League and they used to use him uh you know, he used to work at a car wash because they needed someone to, to wipe the top of the, the cars off and dry them off on the SUVs. <laughs> that's
2: a great story. All right, we're going to be back to explore why hockey has become the Donato's family business when game time returns right after this. Uh, that's a great story.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news,
2: Welcome back, everyone. Upon hanging up his NHL skates back in 2004, Ted Donato claims he was in the right place at the right time as Harvard was searching for a new head coach. And you had no head coaching experience, uh, Ted. And so you called your old Bruins pal, I read, Dave Poulin, who was then the head coach of his alma mater, Notre Dame. So what did he tell you to expect and what to look out for? Well,
3: I just wanted his advice um... I, I had interest in, in coaching, but, you know, I didn't, uh, I also had interest in other things and I didn't know which way, uh, you know, it would, it would lead me. But uh, when the opportunity came up, um, you know, obviously I had to go through a, an interview process and, you know, wanted to reach out to him to see how the transition was and, you know, what he would, you know, recommend and, and maybe
2: things that he did well or things that he, you know, he would change. You know, it's amazing. Your brother Danny coached your sons, Ryan and Jack, in high school, and then both of them come to play for you at Harvard. And I was wondering, was it difficult coaching them at that level? And did you have to lay down certain ground rules with them?
3: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it it definitely had its challenges. Uh, For me, the fact that they could go to Harvard and graduate from Harvard superseded those challenges. Um, You know, Ryan obviously was a, a very good player for us as well. And I think um, I think they knew that. And and I, you know, I I would I would say as much, hey, listen, if there's if there's uh, if there's a choice between two people for me to yell at, I'm yelling at you guys, (laughs) you know, and I'm going to be tougher on you, uh, you know, and uh, and and I can clean that up later. But, uh, you know, but in general, I think they, uh, you know, they knew that, you know, I was going to be hard at them hard on them because I wanted to make sure that they were you know were comfortable as teammates
2: you know i would have said just go home and complain to mom i don't want to hear it Uh, (laughs) by the way you know you actually have said hockey moms and hockey wives are incredibly underappreciated why is that
3: well i think uh you know the sacrifice that that uh that goes in and you know all the early mornings and all the the challenges uh you know and it's it's a it can be a tough game at, at times. And, uh, you know, especially, you know, as a former professional athlete, you know, trying to raise a family, the, the reality is we're we we were not around as much as I, we would like at times. And, you know, we get pulled in a bunch of directions. Uh, so in some ways, you know, you know, you get credit for, you know, uh, you know, your kids being, you know, uh, athletic or doing this and that, but really it's the moms that are, you know, they're, they're the ones there pushing hard and, and, you know, making sure they're eating right and, and you know, getting their homework done and, and getting to practice on time and that kind of stuff. So uh, certainly I think moms are the, uh, you know, the, the unheralded uh, superstars behind uh, all these athletes. You know, it's
2: amazing. Your wife, Janine, is a triple threat. She was a hockey mom, a hockey wife for sure. And she's also a neurological nurse, I read, who has become a leader in baseline concussion testing these days, especially for children 10 and up. So how did an incident with your 10-year-old son, Nolan, lead to her activism in this field?
3: Yeah, very interesting. My son, uh, Nolan, uh, you know, got a concussion. And, um, and you know, she, she actually was a nurse in Boston uh, on a neurosurgery unit. So had some experience with, you know, kind of uh, different, uh, you know, different things that were going on with, uh, you know, head trauma and, and uh, brain injuries. But um, she she kind of dove into, you know, what kind of treatments that were, were available uh, and then so much so that, you know, she then became um, you know, very interested was, was, uh, was using the impact study for a while, um, was testing kids, was, was going out, was, you know, we would get calls from people that, uh, would ask questions and, you know, wanted to be able to, uh, get to see certain doctors. And she, she loved helping people and she loved, uh, you know, getting kids healthy and, and back on time and, and, and also, you know, averting, you know, uh, you know, more dangerous concussions to follow.
2: You know, all of this is serious stuff. And, you know, I know the Ted Donato that appeared on The Price is Right with Bob Barker, which is really amazing. And uh, he asked you when you did this appearance on The Price is Right, what are you intended to do after graduation? So what would you tell him?
3: God only knows, Bob. God only knows. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then he took his he said, I hey, look at a kid from Harvard. He doesn't know what he's going to do with his life. <laughs> What would it mean to you to be able to coach a Crimson team to a national championship?
3: Well, I think it it would be amazing, uh, especially as uh, sports become more and more big business uh, and big money, to be able to uh, lead a group of guys that, uh, that have chosen to do things the right way and chosen to challenge themselves academically uh, and go to a place like Harvard. uh, It would, it would be amazing. Um, You know, certainly um, we have a bunch of guys that, uh, you know, are very serious about hockey that are NHL draft picks that would like to make a living doing it. Um, So, you know, we, we really kind of balance that development and, you know, really pushing to, to be as successful as possible.
2: All right. So in my research, I estimate that you have spent nearly half of your life at your alma mater. And now I know also how competitive you are by nature. So we have a little game here on Game Time that we like to call Fight Fiercely Harvard. Are you up for a little challenge? Sure. All right, I'm going to ask you about four questions and let me see how well you know Harvard, okay? (laughs) <laughs> All right, here we go. What is the Latin word for truth that is featured prominently on the Harvard University logo? Veritas. Very good. The 1970 box office smash love story, of course, as we referenced earlier, is a tearjerker tale of a rich Harvard hockey player and his terminally Ill working class girlfriend. Name the lead actors.
3: Uh let's see. So that would be Ryan O'Neill and um I I actually know the uh because it's a she's from a famous
2: acting family as well. Yes. Uh you're taking too long. Allie McGraw. Allie McGraw, there we go. Alright, so what is someone from Cambridge called? Uh Yes, very good. The famous statue of John Harvard in Harvard Yard bears the following inscription. John Harvard, founder, 1638. The sculpture is also referred to as the Statue of Three Lies. Can you name any of the three lies about that statue?
3: uh, I wanna say the year is incorrect. uh, That it was actually founded the
2: year before. All right. So, would be- <laughs> so you're close. So the statue wasn't John Harvard. That was a random student that served as a model for John Harvard. By the way, he wasn't the founder. He was the first major donor. And the school, as you pointed out, wasn't founded in 1636. It was founded in 1636, not 1638. So much for Veritas, I guess, and so much for me getting us through this segment. i'm sorry about that but i appreciate it teddy thank you so much for joining us today i'm boomer and i'll see you again real soon right here on game time with tommy lloyd head basketball coach of the university of arizona wildcats all right teddy thank you
3: all right thank you
0: this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance